Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for the speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. Now I would like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Michelle. Hi guys, I'm Michelle, a very grateful compulsive overeater and body obsessor. I was telling my friends, I'm like, God, you know what, before I came to program, I thought about myself like 24 hours a day, so 40 minutes, just to talk about something probably would be kind of simple, but (laughs) anyway, I'll start with uh, my qualifications. I came into program uh, five years ago, uh, 2005, and uh, basically the way that I wound up here was I fainted in a canyon. Um, I was hiking with, at that time, my new puppy. And at that time, I was on um, a diet that wasn't working for me the second time around. Um, So they, in all their wisdom, told me that I should drink two meals. And then my third meal would be consist of food, but their food was really like, like you put it powder in and like blew up into something. And so that's that's basically um, what I was doing. And I was hiking one day and I fainted. And um, I came to and like, thank God my puppy was there. Now I think about it, the dog that he is now, he would have just totally walked away from me. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. I need another program for that. But um, So basically is my story. I got into program um, in my late 30s. When I came into program and I was um, asked to do my food history, it became very apparent to me that I had uh, that my eating disorder I always think I had it, but I think that I became cognitively aware of it when I was about, I think it was six, what came out in my food history. I uh, was always, uh, I was like a little chunky girl, and people had no qualms about telling me that. So like, look at the cute little chunky girl. And um, one particular year, I had cut my hair off and, like, did this really weird thing, and then we moved into this new area, and my next-door neighbor's grandmother said, who's the cute little chunky boy that moved next door? And I remember that so well. And then, basically, you know, the races were open, and I became very aware of my uh, my looks. There was a summer, uh, two years later, um, where I guess, uh, like, the boyish look maybe have worn off, and I remember I was walking around a pool. I had um, started playing tennis and lost a whole bunch of weight. And I was wearing a bathing suit. And at eight years old, I felt very powerful um, walking around in a bathing suit and really felt like men were looking at me. And I was eight. And uh, I was eight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but I just remember feeling that surge of this power that if you're you know, beautiful and desirable, that, like, life is perfect. And that basically haunted my life till I got into program. It manifested in being very um, mean 
and entitled and spoiled um, and bratty. Um, I think that my parents and uh, close friends and family attributed to just me being a teenager, which I'm sure that it had a lot to do with it, but really, like, I snuck food a lot. And I remember, like, the way that our kitchen was, um, the way that it was uh, set up was that if my parents were, like, in the den, I could, like, sneak over to the, you know, refrigerator and, like, open the door, and I would make sure that, like, the blinds were closed so they couldn't see the reflection in the window because I would go there so many times. I'm sure they knew that I was going into the refrigerator, but it never said anything, and it felt like I'm sneaking and this is good and no one knows and let me hide it and just eat, 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 diet, 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 eat, 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 diet, diet, diet. What I realize now is that it was a way for me to feel like I was in control of something um, just because my family life wasn't the best and I'm not unique in that. And I think when I came to program, I was like, I had such a bad childhood and I'm so unique and, you know, I deserved. But, you know, we all come from what we come from. And in these programs, I've learned to be in acceptance and to love my childhood despite what it looked like. Um, But going back... I would say that my disease really erupted in college, and this is what my disease looked like. It was, I was never very heavy, I was never very thin, but in my mind, I was the most atrocious, um, fat, gross person that was very lovable at the same time. I always had friends, and I became really social, actually, in college, where I really wasn't in, in high school. Um, I joined a sorority, and I, you know, took commitments in that sorority, and I had a lot of friends. Um, and I still do have friends from that sorority, which I have no idea how those girls still like me because I was insufferable. When I was in college, I was really unhappy. And as a roommate, it was like if I was in a bad mood, like, just stay out of my way. I lived on the bottom floor, and they all lived on the top floor. It was like it was a two-story condo, and I lived on the bottom floor, which was perfect for my disease because I had full reign of the kitchen, like, at night. And also, like, with my entitlement, if I was in a bad mood, like, do not be downstairs at all. Like, go to your room and leave me alone because I was miserable. Um, and it really broke out in me being very promiscuous in college, trying to get love, thinking that that was, you know, well, if, like, you know, I hook up with this guy, then I must be thin enough. You know, it was like it was like my barometer. It just kept going into the, into the point of I was so convinced, and it was so my life um, belief that if I was thin my life would be perfect, that I would meet the man of my dreams and I would get married and life would, I would have money and babies and, you know, everything would be great. And, you know, my life is great and I have some money. I don't have babies. I don't have a husband. Um, But I came close one time, actually. And um, we were engaged and literally had the white picket fence in in our house, literally had the white picket fence um, that that overlooked, like, this beautiful lake. And, like, you know, during springtime, little ducklings would come into our yard. And I had lost all this weight, you know, on this diet that I had to go in there every day and be weighed by the ounces. So it was like I would come in Monday through Friday, and they'd be like, you lost three ounces. And that, be, that became my self-worth for the year that I was on that program. And I lost a bunch of weight. 
Um, and that was the the diet, by the way, that the second time around didn't work, where you poured water in and it blew up into something that they called food. So um, I was engaged, and I was thin, and I was so scared. Like, I was so scared. It, it really got to the point where I would try on clothes, and I'm not – this is not um, – Embellishing. I would try on the same pair of pants maybe five or six times a day throughout the course of the day to make sure that they still fit me exactly the same way that they fit me earlier in the day. If I ate something that was not, that I judged or that I thought was a bad food, then it would go into like, oh, well, let me try on that skirt that I wore last week. You know, let me see if like, you know, that t-shirt or, you know, constantly looking at myself like I was such a narcissist, you know. But what I've learned in in this program is that narcissism comes in all forms. And um, one of my biggest character defects that came up when I did my, um, you know, my fifth, sixth, fourth, fifth, and sixth step was pride in reverse, where somebody walks into a room, and if they have just pride, they're like, look at me, I'm so cool, everybody wants to be with me, and that's prideful. Pride in reverse is, look at me, I'm like the worst, grossest person in the whole world, and you're all talking about me and think I'm awful. So I was pride in reverse girl. So I did have my moments of pride. But, you know, for the most part, it was pride in reverse. And when I was thin with the diamond on my finger, with the white picket fence and the, and the pending marriage, I was so fearful of losing it. I was so fearful. Every day, I would, like, you know, eat nothing and work out and, like, eat nothing more, try on the pants, eat nothing more, pretend I was really happy in my relationship, eat nothing, work out, you know, try on another pair of pants. And that was really, oh, and I went to work. And um, and, I, and I went to work, and I went shopping. I went shopping a lot. And, you know, my work, basically my career that I'm still in is a career that the more, what's the word, demanding and controlling I am at a very loud tone, the more successful I am that my bosses think that I'm very effective in my job. And it was perfect when I was in my disease, God bless you, um, because I love to control demand and be loud. Um, and I love to tell people what to do, and I love to scare them into doing it um, because I felt so out of control, and I just was, like, going up the ladder. And today my career is this. I have the same job, but it's very different the way I handle it. So I think I'm about 10 minutes, and I'll tell you what happened. I came into the rooms from the fainting episode, and I walked into this meeting, and I was blown away. It was a meeting um, that's still here at, uh, in uh, West Hollywood. It's a women's meeting. And I could not believe how many people were in this room that would come out on a Sunday morning and sit down, and, like, it, like the second I walked in, I felt like, Oh, my God, my prayers are answered, you know, because I have tried everything from, you know, every diet to having pregnant women's urine, you know, uh, injected in me, pregnant horses' urine. That doesn't work, by the way, just so you know. Um, liposuction, um, crash dieting, only, you know, eating carrots, only eating broccoli, only eating chocolate, only eating cookies, you know, whatever it was, crazy stuff for all my life, and when I walked in, and I didn't really understand what was going on, and what these steps were about, and God, and all that stuff, but like, there was a, there was an energy, 
that I felt that just made me feel that for that hour and a half I was okay. And I just kept coming back. I wound up, you know, getting a sponsor pretty soon into program. And she was so cool. She was like this gorgeous blonde. And she was, you know, from Sweden. And I'm like, you're cool. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be like you, you know. Um, and it turned out that she gave me some great lessons, none of which I would ever have thought. I just thought, like, oh, she's cool and thin, so I'm going to hang out with her and I'll become cool and thin. Um, and... It so did not turn out that way in the sense of, I mean, I'm cool, and she's cool and thin, (laughs) and I'm like thin. I don't know. But, like, I learned so much stuff from her. Um, She was my sponsor for about six months, and then um, I switched sponsors, and I've been with, um, I just got, I was with a sponsor for about four and a half years, and I just recently switched sponsors again. So I just started going to meetings. I started taking service commitments, and it was, um, suggested to me that not only do I get numbers of people that were um, in program for a while, but also to take down numbers of people that came into program with me at around the same time. So, you know, we have the We Care book, and so, like, I would write down numbers of people that had, like, 30 days, 60 days, maybe up to, like, six months, and I would have to say that to this day, they're, like, now my closest friends. Um, I have, like, the best friends from this program. It's ridiculous. And I have friends dating back, like, you know, I'm 42. I have a friend that's 42 years of friendship. Our moms are pregnant together. Um, We have a very, very, very honest and open and loving relationship. But, like, with the people that I have in program, it's like... It's, there's there's levels that are just deeper. Like, there's just things, like, even though my friend outside a program knows about my program, she supports me, gets it, knows my eating disorder, is elated that I'm in program and that today I love my body and, like, whatever, my friendships here, like, I get chills because it's, like, it's deeper than I could ever explain um, because we share um, these traditions and these steps that, like, I, I really think that, like, it could, like, solve world peace if they, like, introduce them into, like, you know, any sort of, like, outside issue. Um, so, where am I? Okay. So, um, I remember when I first started working with the first um, blonde, cool sponsor. Um, she made me sit down and write down every single food that um, I felt was not okay to eat. Um, any single food that I would go off into like an hour to maybe a week spin about and beat myself up. And um, I sat there with her and I'm like, all right, chocolate. And she's like, and I'm like, and I had like three things because I was scared to write them. She's like, go to town. I think I had like 70 something foods on my list. And I rattled those off very quickly. And she looked at me and she goes, congratulations, you can now eat all of it. And I was like, what? She goes, you could eat all of it. She goes, the way that I spend, the way that she sponsors, and not everybody um, has this way of doing it. She's like, the way that I sponsor, I come from a restricting background. Um, When you and I have been talking, I see that you came from a restricting background. And I really believe that my higher power does not want me to restrict. Um, And so you could eat all of it. And then, you know, as we go on program, when you find that things are problematic, then we'll tweak it. And that scared me so much. Like, I'm like, what do you mean I could have, like, you know, 
A, B, C, D, X, Y, Z. You know, I'm like, I'm going to go off. But you know what? The interesting thing was I remained abstinent from that day, and that was June 8, 2005. And my abstinence is um, no binging and no dieting um, and no restricting of any kind. Um, and dieting um, was, it was an interesting one. It's like, you know, binging is an interesting one. You know, when in the other program, you either take in that substance or you don't, and that, de- and that you know, determines your sobriety. And with food, it's very, you know, cunning and baffling. It's like we all need to eat, so it's like, what is a binge? You know, and now when I um, sponsor people, they're like, well, what's a binge? And we really have to sit down. And for me, a binge looked like this. I work in an industry where there's something called the craft service table. And there's food here, and there's somebody making stuff there. And then if you go over there, there's something else going on over there, and you might walk to another person's place of work, and there's something going on there, and it's all very exciting because it's food. And mine would be, I would like meticulously and methodically go from one place, eat something, be like, how you doing, you know, talk around the table, and I'd be like, oh, my God, you know what, I have to go over there. I'll be right back. And then I would go there and talk to people there. And then, like, would make the rounds that by the time I got back to the table that I originally started, like, those people weren't there anymore. So then I could start my little thing all over again. My binges were not, like, I'm going to go out and, like, um, you know, go to and hit, like, every fast food store. It wasn't, like, an intentional thing. It was kind of like, oh, well, it's there. I eat it. Like, I would never, like, go out to the grocery store and buy stuff. So none of my sponsees were like, well, that's what my binge looks like. I'm like, so that's how you define it, you know? And a lot of times they'll call me, they're like, I binged, and they didn't binge. So, um, you know, it's all, you know, it's all very uh, subjective, and um, I learned that in this program. Um, I came from the place that if my diet said to have three carrots and I ate four, I was a complete failure, and I was like beating myself up, it looked as if, like, I would yell and scream at myself in the mirror and tell myself how awful I was. I don't do that today. So how it started to change was um, I went on a food plan, which I actually call my wish list because, to me, um, in program, when they call it a food plan, to me it sounds very diety for me. So I call it my wish list, and my wish list is that I eat three meals a day and two or three snacks if needed. Um, my abstinence, my bottom line is no binging of how I understand it, no dieting of how I understand it, and no restricting of how I understand it. It has worked for me. My food's not perfect uh, by any means. I absolutely go into judgment about it sometimes, but I have tools now today, which I will go into about two minutes. Mm-hmm. One of the things I do with my job is I'm very, I have to be very cognitive of time. So it's like I'll be like, I'll be there in seven minutes, and I really am. So, um, <laughs> so let me take a moment. One of my biggest things is obsession of body, and that I, I qualify as a body obsessor. Um, I can wake up and think that I, my body looks great, and like ten minutes later depending on if, like, the boyfriend called or not, then I'm, I'm fat. I obsess on, I would obsess on my body constantly. It was like nothing else in the world existed. I missed out on people's weddings. I missed out on, you know, family events. I missed out on so many things in college and high school. Um, and, you know, looking back, I'm like, God, you never have your 20s or your 30s again, you know, and it's really a shame 
you know, that I missed out on these things because I just didn't feel as on that particular day that I was good enough. Um, I lied to get out of things. Um, I flaked. I didn't show up to things. Um, and despite that, the people in my life still love me. So I know that I always had a really good heart. I was just really in a lot of pain and a lot of anger and a lot of misguide, misguided thoughts. And that really was um, what my life looked like. And this is how my life is today. Somebody said something at a meeting uh, a couple of weeks ago that I just thought was so great. She's like, when ever in doubt, she's like, it's just kind of like a dance. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. And it's like, that's what I do. It's like <laughs> steps one, two, and three. You know, I'm powerless over the way that my head thinks, my, my food, my body. I know how to pay my mortgage, you know, and how to drive to work. But when it comes to this food and body thing, no idea how to do it. I really don't. I have no idea how to do it. Two, you know, I came to believe that this power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Sometimes I believe it, sometimes I don't, but it also then makes me realize that I'm not the greater power since I'm the human being. And three is just I turn this stuff over. And one of the ways that I work my step three um, is I have to take out a piece of paper and I write things to do today. Get up. You know, go to work. Whatever it is I have to do. Pay, you know, my phone bill. And then I write a line, and then I write, God, please take care of the rest. And then sometimes I actually have to specifically write down the stuff. So it's like, please take care of the fact that I have a date tonight, and the shirt that I wanted to wear that I think makes me look thinner is in the dry cleaners, and what am I going to wear? Because that really, that trivial thing will mow me over... And I will absolutely not treat someone the way they should be treated. I will not do my job right. I will flip somebody off on the freeway. And I will be mean to myself if I make that something that's my business. Trivial things ruined my life before I came into program. Now, when I think them, I'm like, you're very cute, Michelle. And this is your disease. And it's so cool that God's, that's, that's, on, that's underneath that line on your God, please do this for me list. Another thing that um, really works for me is um, on page 85 of the big book, Upon Awakening. I read that in the morning, and it really tells me what my job is that day. You know, upon awakening, we consider our plans for the day. We ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. So my self-pity was, I'm so fat. And I'm not good enough to show up in this world. So, and then that turned me into being like a really bitter, mean, entitled person um, that really could do anything to you, whether it was right or wrong, and felt like I had every right to do that. You know, I could yell at you, tell you, you know, take something from you because I was entitled because I was, you know, I was hurting. And so that was my self-pity. My um, dishonest, <laughs> yeah, I lied all the time. I lied all the time. All the time. And that's not a lie. I did lie all the time. I I lied about my 
I lied all the time. I don't need to go into the minutia. I lied all the time. Um, and self-seeking. It was always self-seeking. What can I get from this? How, are, how am I going to get you to like me? How am I going to get, you know, you to give that to me? How am I going to get that promotion? How am I going to get that, you know, that car? How am I going to get my mom to do this? Everything was about me. I re- And this disease is really interesting because I became very good at doing two things simultaneously. Like, I had this sense of, like, entitlement and wanting everything for myself, but I also had this huge capacity to love and to uh, give love. So I was very lovable, but at the same time there was like, if you wanted something done, you called Michelle. Like, if you needed tickets to something, I would get them for you somehow, some way. And like, it took a while. Like, I remember about two years in the program, my mom would be like, okay, we're going to New York City, and I can't get these tickets, but you know, call them and like do whatever it is that you do to like get those tickets. And I'm like, mom, I don't do that anymore. I'm like, if you can't get the tickets, like, online, or, like, then maybe we're going to have to go stand outside the theater, you know? And, like, then she was kind of like, wait a minute. Okay, you love yourself now, but now I can't get my own tickets, you know? So, like, you know, there's, you know, there's, you know, downfalls. It kind of, you know, there's kind of things in program where it kind of sucks being all recovered. You have to, like, admit to people that you lied to them, and you have to, like, admit that, like, Oh, I'm really sorry, I, I, I took this water. You know, it's like you have to, like, do stuff. But you know what? When I live my life in grace and dignity, which I do today, it doesn't matter what size my body is that day because I feel proud of myself as the person that I am because I tell the truth. When I'm angry and bitchy, I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word. When I'm angry and snotty, I I can then say, you know what, that's just a human trait that I have, and I apologize. And then I try not to be that way anymore. Um, I'm accepting of the fact that I have this disease, and I'm really grateful for it. I'm grateful that I get to, like, live my life by these steps. You know, upon awakening, it also says, hold on, let me just turn, that it says... um, you know, what used to be the hunch of the occasional inspiration, it becomes a working part of the mind, you know, and it's like the way, you know, I was doing um, step work today, and one of the questions was, you know, how do you allow um, your higher power to work in your life? And I realized it's like I need to pause because I'm such a capable person, and as addicts, I, you know, knowing certain addicts, a lot of addicts where very reaction, you know, reactionary people. Um, and the big key for me is just to pause. So it's like if I get pissed off or if I get insecure, if I get even, like, elated in joy, it's kind of like, okay, any decision I make at this moment probably is not going to be the best decision. So, like, let me just literally count one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And I can breathe and then, like, ask for, like, my next course of action. Another really great thing that I learned from this program, I'm like such like the big book in psych, but is um, page 67. And this has to do with if you don't like somebody or somebody's pissing you off. Because when somebody pissed me off or I didn't like somebody before, all it did was drive me to eat and hate my body more. When like having resentment I learned in this program is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. 
Okay, and so um, to not have resentments anymore, I read page 67 of the big book, and um, it basically says, this is our course. We realize that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too, and we ask God to help us show them the same toleration, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man, how can I be helpful to him? God, save me from being angry, thy will be done. And it's really about, oh, okay, I have this feeling of being wronged, and like my ego is hurt, um, my, um, my heart's racing, I have anxiety, but at the same time, like I can look at that person with compassion, and I have to tell you, it is really bizarre how if you pray for someone that you really want to hate, they stop being annoying to you. <laughs> and I know, I know it, I'm not even saying it's a joke, like it's really like uncanny to me. I have, you know, started this new job back in January, and there's three people that like, I really want to dislike. I, there's three people, and I have been, and like, and unfortunately, they all weren't like mean to me at the same time that I can get it all out of the way. Like, they spaced it out. It is really, I'm on the third person, because the other two are like non-entity to me anymore. They really are. So I'm on the third person, and he just, he just got on my list um, last week. Yeah, he just got on my I don't like you list, and so I say prayers about him every morning. And I saw him on Friday, Thursday, and I really, really did not like him on Thursday. And I really was like, I'm not going to like you, and I'm going to be really aggravated. And guess what? I was thinking about my body that day a lot. And you know what? So it's like, who does that really hurt? You know, who did, it hurts me. And he could care less. He doesn't know the thoughts I'm thinking in my head. You know, he's just going on with his day. So when I resent someone, all it does is affect me. Um, and it doesn't allow me to show up the way that my higher power put me on this earth to show up as. Um, I don't really know what else to talk about. Oh, I know what I can talk about. One other thing. Thank you. Um, you guys might know this. But this was a huge epiphany for me. I started my exercise routines before program was like, I needed to work out for two hours and I needed to like sweat to death or it like wasn't worth it to like go work out. Like when somebody, when I first got into program, people were like, you know what, take a walk. I'd be like, F you. Like, I'm not taking, like why am I, really, that's not going to do anything. And like I would walk. And I'd be all pissed because I'm like, this sucks, and I'm a complete underachiever. This is not doing anything, right? And lately, what's happened with this new job that I, um, and this is life on life's terms, I have to be at work at 7, and I'm usually there till about 8 or 9 at night. And there's no way I'm one of those people that's going to get to the gym at 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. There's no way. I won't do it. So, if, like, for the first couple of months, I really felt as if, like, I'm not getting in any exercise. And it was really lovely and wonderful because it wasn't like, I'm going to get fat. Really, what I thought was, like, I really just want to move my body. So, God, how can I do that? And God introduced me to um, this little apparatus. That is a running program that I put on my body, and I've never run in my life. And now what I do is I wake up, and my, my workouts are like 25 minutes. And um, the reason why I brought this up, and I'm vamping because I'm totally forgetting. Oh, I know what it was. So I do my little 25-minute run now. 
And it's sometimes walking, it's sometimes running. And literally, when I get to that, like, I'm going to run, the little apparatus will be like, slow down to the blue zone. <laughs> You're running too fast. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. And then sometimes she'll tell me to speed up. It's like, slow down. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm running outside of my... You know, because you take an assessment run, and then you run outside of this little thing, and it tells you to slow down. I'm like, and to me, that's God telling me, like, it's all good. Slow down. But one of the things that I do is I absolutely say the third step prayer at least once while I say, while I'm doing this run. I realized third step prayer is really cool. And, again, this is where I go back to, like, you guys might be like, oh, yeah, Michelle, we already knew this. <laughs> but I didn't know this, and this is what I knew. This is what I found out. I offer myself to thee uh, to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt, meaning, like, I give you me. Okay? That's the first part of the third step prayer. I'm, I'm literally giving you myself to do with me as you want to because when I make those decisions, it doesn't really turn out that way, you know? Second part is, I offer myself to be, do with me, relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. So it's like when I give you, when I give you me, is that right? When I give myself to you, and then I, I'm asking you to relieve me of the bondage of self. It's like, take away all of the Michelle-isms, all the do that takes me out of the sunlight of the spirit for that doesn't allow me to like show up and see the beauty of the world that you have given me relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will the third part of it is you know take away my difficulties so that victory over them may bear witness to those who could see that my problems have really dissipated because I gave myself to you and because I was relieved of the bondage of self and because I do for other people. And I was running one day, and I'm like, that's so cool. Yeah. I've been in program for five years, and I never really broke that down like that before. <laughs> and it's really like, I don't know, I just thought that was a really cool thing. So that's my third step prayer pitch. And um, I'm going to leave you guys with this. I always thought that life had to look a specific way in order for... Um, it to be a life that was worth living. And in my finite brain, it was being thin, being married, having children, owning a home, and like, I don't know. I think that was about it. And if you really think about it, with all the things that life has to offer, that's really kind of, that's really limiting. And I was talking with my outside help um, a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not in a relationship right now. And she said, what are you holding off on that if you were in a relationship, you would do? And I said, I would, I'm holding off on babies and travel. And it was very apparent that I wasn't going to be pregnant the next day. So we decided that my homework assignment that week was to book a trip. And I was going to book a trip by myself. And I'm like, oh, by myself. And, you know, that following week, I had a week off from work. And I knew that I wasn't going to go somewhere crazy you know, because I didn't want to take all that money. I didn't feel as fiscally responsible or before program. I would absolutely have, like, begged, robbed, and cheated somebody because I'm like, I have to go to Italy because, you know, I'm entitled. But I decided not to do that. Um, and I was going to book a trip just, like, two days up the coast. Literally four hours later, I kid you not, I get a text from a friend of mine um, who happens to be very well off financially, and she's like, do you want to go to Paris next week? My treats. <laughs> like, Thanks, HP. (laughs) 
And it's like you surrender to the fact that, like, going on a trip was with, like, the guy of my dreams, and he was going to propose. And it's like, no, you get to have, like, a friend that you really hardly know that, like, happens to be on the same work schedule as you, that happens to make more money than more people, you know, than most people make in, you know, a lifetime. And she's like, I kind of like you. We hang out sometimes, and, you know, want a good Paris. Do you want to go? Um, we didn't wind up going to Paris. We went to Kauai. And I'll leave you with this. I wound up running one day with my little apparatus. I'm like, so much better than running in Van Nuys. But, you know, um, running in Kauai. And I really, I stopped and I just broke down crying because I was so overwhelmed by the beauty. And I just sat there. I sat down for a moment. And I said, I'm like, and I just said, I'm like, God, thank you so much that when I let go that you introduced me to like such a beautiful part of your planet and your world that I wouldn't have been able to afford or go to or even thought of going, you know, had I not opened myself up to my spirituality and these 12 steps and 12 traditions. And I think I will end there. So thank you. Okay, so I guess this is the question part of the um, question part of the evening. The what is it? Oh, okay. So it's, yes. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much. Um, how do you uh, kind of maintain your connection with God? Do you have a routine on it? How do I maintain my connection with God, and what is my routine? I would say that. I don't do it perfectly, which is a huge way for me to connect with God because I was such a perfectionist when it came to dieting and exercise before program that if I strayed at all from what this program, you know, from what that diet program told me to do, if I didn't do it perfectly, then I was a failure. So um, I don't do everything. I don't do something regularly because I think that that would set me up for perfectionism. There are just times like right now, because of this lovely man at work that just came on my list, um, I, I read page 67 right now and I say a prayer. It might not, be, it might not look that way in three months from now. I absolutely, um, now things just come innately to me, like pausing. Uh, I make outreach calls. I have sponsees that call me every day. So that's something I do every day, Monday through Friday. Um, I am at the point now with my new sponsor that I just check in with her once a week. But uh, one thing I do every day is there's this meditation, uh, daily meditation from like an, you know, a program approved literature. And I send that out to an email and the list has grown like over the years. There's probably like 70 people on the list. I send that out every day, most of the time. Don't do it every day. Some days I miss a day or something. So, yeah, I don't, it's not like I wake up and do the first three steps. I would love to say that I'm like that beacon of, you know, perfectionism that does that, but I don't. So, yes, Lana. You said that your food is like really, really open and that you don't restrict a lot of food, but you said that, you know, you tweak it as needed in the program. How do you know it's time to tweak it, like, before you, like, go all out and binge with, like, food and you're like, what happened? Um, okay, so the question is, is that I have a food plan that's wide open and how do I know when to tweak it I guess I don't know because I've never tweaked it to this day there isn't anything on my plan that I don't eat Um, to this day I can go anywhere and I eat whatever I want you know I um, I've never tweaked it I've never added anything 
since that day on June 8th when she said to me, you could eat whatever you want and if something becomes problematic for you. Because my problem was bulk. Like, I could binge out on, like, raw cauliflower. <laughs> Literally, I could. If I was in a place to eat, in a, in a, in a binging place, and God bless you, and because I didn't, like, seek out food, if there was, like, two heads of cauliflower in my kitchen, that's what I binged on. It wasn't like I would, there's, I don't have, like, a food that's problematic. It's the bulk of it. So, okay. And that's it, right? Okay.